Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to leave with you tonight the verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Last week, we saw that Christians possess a great high priest. Verse 14, we have a great high priest. Christians, they have him by faith. It's faith that receives Christ and it's faith that takes hold of him and possesses him and it's faith that especially takes possession of him as a great high priest. And that word great is the word that I emphasize then. Is great now and shall ever be great, always great, unto the great eternity itself. He'll always be a great high priest. And we saw why the Lord Jesus Christ is a great high priest. Because he is the Son of God. And because he has passed into the heavens itself. And because he's in glory and at God's right hand. And that knowledge of his greatness ought to encourage Christians to continue taking hold of him and being steadfast in their confession of faith, to keep on believing and trusting. But in verse 15, the apostle changes his approach to the consideration of the great high priest. It's very interesting how he does this. There is a turn on this verb to have. He has said positively, first of all, in verse 14, we have a great high priest. But now in verse 15, he adds a negative. We have not. Now that's interesting how he does this. We have, we have not. We have a high priest, we have not a high priest. We have on the one hand such and such a high priest, but we have not, on the other hand, such and such a high priest. He's doing this for emphasis. So he describes the priest in our text that we do not have. We don't have a priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of all our infirmities. In other words, we have a great high priest but we don't have one who is untouched. We don't have one who lacks compassion, tenderness and grace. You see, this compassion is something that a high priest on earth ought to have, is meant to have. And the apostle goes on in chapter 5 to speak about Aaron and about those high priests that follow in his lineage, those high priests that are taken from among men, as he says in chapter 5, who are called by God, 
and it describes them there as those who can have compassion. Chapter 5, verse 2. The high priest on earth, Aaron and all the others who followed him, they could have compassion on the ignorant. They could have compassion on them that are out of the way. Because the high priest on earth, he has compassed himself with infirmity. He knows what infirmity is. He feels this infirmity. And he's able to be sympathetic to those that he is ministering before God for. And so the priests on earth have compassion because they're compassed with infirmity. They knew about infirmity, they knew about weakness, and therefore they could be compassionate to sinners. They were tender to the ignorant. They were meant to be. They were tender to the lepers when the lepers came to get checked out. They were cheering. They were caring for those who went astray, those who went out of the way, those who strayed from God, those who were backslidden. They had mercy and pity, or at least they were meant to have on earth. And it was their work for sinners, their work to reconcile sinners to God, and they were not meant to do that unfeelingly. And so he talks about the compassion of Aaron and priests like him. Now, why does he talk about the great and heavenly high priest like this? Paul is telling us he has this compassion too. And he puts it negatively. There's no way we have a high priest that lacks tenderness. Well, why does he do this? Why does he want to emphasize this? We have a great high priest, but he's not like this. Well, it's clear that there's a thought going on in his head. He's thinking. This is going on in his head because he knows it's going on in the head of the people that he is addressing. Verse 14 ought to encourage us. We have a great high priest. It ought to encourage us. It ought to strengthen our faith. He wants it to do that. We have a priest in the glory. This is wonderful. He's right in God's presence. But Paul knows Satan is subtle. And he knows that Christians are always battling Satan. And Satan will be bringing other thoughts and other suggestions. And while verse 14, we have a great high priest in the heavens, ought to be an encouraging verse, Paul knows the devil can use it to discourage the saints. And he knows that many of the saints think like this. Satan can turn these things about. He can turn an encouraging verse into a, a discouraging verse by making the people of God think wrongly about it. And something like that is going on in, in Paul's head. He, he knows how the saints are thinking. And their thought is going along something like this. Oh, we know Jesus has gone into the heavens. We know that he's gone into glory. We know that he's a glorious saviour and the glorious son of God right in the seat of majesty. But he's too high, too far removed from us. He possesses such holiness, he possesses such purity, and he's in a place where there are no infirmities about him and no infirm people about him, only saints made perfect, only angels mighty and glorious. He's in a place of perfection, a place where there's no problems, a place where there's no infirmities 
up there in the heights in the glory. How can he concern himself with, with me? With my problems. With my infirmities. With my sins. How can he concern himself with my ignorance and my doubts and my strain and my battles and my failures? How can we suppose that he would look down upon us sorry saints? Maybe if he was in the flesh among us, like he was in the days of his flesh when he was among the apostles, that would be wonderful. If he was like he was in the Gospels with us, we could have hope. But he's gone. He's far removed. He's exalted and on high. Above us in glory. Now Paul knows that some thought like that is existing in the minds of the people of God. And thus he firmly states with, a very, with very strong negatives, why we have a great high priest, we do not have an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. There's no way he lacks tenderness. There's no way he lacks compassion. Even though he is in a place where there is no infirmity and enjoys all the glory. There's no way he lacks compassion and we can boldly go onto the throne of grace to get this mercy and grace because he has this compassion. And this is what Paul is saying. The Lord Jesus going into the heavens, it didn't change his heart. It didn't change his heart. It didn't make him lose his compassion. Whatever happened to his humanity, whatever glory he entered into, whatever changes took place upon him as he sat at God's right hand, it did not take away his heart of grace. That's what Paul is emphasizing. It's true he is beyond all infirmity. It's true he no longer suffers for sinners. It's true he no longer bleeds. It's true he no longer sheds tears as he did in the days of his flesh. His human nature, it is true, is distant. So distant as far as heaven is from earth. But for believers, that distance is not as great as Satan would have us to think. Jesus Christ is still connected with his people. Jesus Christ still feels for his people on earth. The very same as he felt for the apostles when he was with them in the days of his flesh. That compassion has not been dented. His heart towards them is the same. And so it's very much not a case that he is now untouched. And this strong negative is thus written to make the positive all the stronger. We have a compassionate high priest who is touched. He's still touched with the feelings. Yes, the feelings. Not just with our infirmities, but he's still touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's that close. Though great and glorified, He's touched, very much touched, powerfully touched, tenderly touched. He sympathizes with suffering saints. 
And this is very much the teaching of this verse. We have a sympathetic high priest. And so congregation, never let Satan tell you otherwise. Does Jesus care? Yes, he cares. Don't ever believe otherwise. So yes, the quality of priests on earth, that quality of compassion that they're meant to possess, that did not leave him when he went into heaven. But all of that compassion he brought with him, and he retains it still. He still has a great heart. For sinners, though he is in glory. Paul is more or less saying to them, Never you Hebrew converts think of going back, going back to Judaism. Think of going back to that high priest that you can talk to and bring your problems to and your troubles to. Uh, this kind of foolish notion that Jesus is too far and too high, as if to go back to the temple, back to a mere man, back to earthly priests, because Somehow the devil has got into your mind. Jesus doesn't see and Jesus doesn't know and Jesus doesn't care. He knows, he sees, he cares. So our high priest is great. Not just because he's the son of God. Not just because he's gone into the heavens. But he's great also because he has great compassion. The greatest compassion of all. The compassion that made him to come into the world. He still possesses. The compassion that caused him to go about and help and heal others. He still has. The compassion that makes him to ever live. To continue on in intercession for us. That is fueled by his compassion. He has endless affection. As the elder brother of younger brethren and sisters. He has the compassion of one who is ever bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will not I forget. Jesus doesn't forget. Just because he's in glory, just because those ministering around him have no infirmity anymore. Just because he has all this omnipotent power as mediator. Doesn't mean that he forgets or lacks tenderness. We consider chapter 2 verse 18 of Hebrews in a former occasion. In that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able. Not was able. Is able is able now at the right hand of God, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So he hasn't lost that ability. He hasn't lost that desire to succor and to comfort. It is as strong as ever. It wasn't left behind when he ascended and entered into glory. Able, able still, able always. To succor. Because he has the heart. Of compassion. And so going through the veil. Between heaven and earth. Did not in any way take away. His tender heart. It didn't turn his heart into stone. Being glorified. 
So Paul is saying the heart of Christ in heaven is no less compassionate than it was when on the earth. And this is wonderful because whenever you read the Gospels and discover what kind of man Jesus Christ was in the Gospels, this caring man, he's the same. It's wonderful. So he's qualified still to sympathize. And he is qualified because he himself has passed through trials and suffered all kinds of trials on earth and the experience of that and the memory of that has not left him all that he suffered in his humanity. What does our text say? Having passed through all the trials to which we ourselves are liable, it's emphasized in the text, verse 15, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was, this is past, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He had this experience. He had all these experiences of sorrow. He knew what it was to cry. He knows what causes crying and tears. He knows everything that knocks us about and gets us down and that we have to battle with. He went through all of that so that he might retain in glory, a compassionate heart for his people. Now, there is a note of importance at the end of verse 15. There's one exception. There's one thing he didn't go through or didn't experience. He's like us in everything. All kinds of disappointments, all kinds of knocks, all kinds of hurts and afflictions, all losses and infirmities, but there's only one non-resemblance. Without sin. In no sin. And that's a very important and a very noticeable difference. He never sinned. He never did wrong. No matter how acute those trials were. He never sinned. He never went astray. He never fell into iniquity. No trial led him to sin. And no trial came because of his own sin. Although trials did come because of the sins of others. So, so he knows about the link between sin and suffering. And his sufferings were because of our sins. Not because of his own sins. So he knows about all this business of sin. And the link between sin and suffering. But he hasn't experienced sin. He never did. But he doesn't have to experience sin. To have compassion for us. In fact if he did experience sin. He could have no compassion for us. Because his heart would harden. He'd lose his tenderness, his gentleness. It would all begin to evaporate. He couldn't sin. And the fact that he didn't sin makes his compassion all the more powerful. All the more tender. All the more wonderful beyond any compassion that any earthly high priest who is a mere sinner could ever have had. So his sinlessness does not make him less loving of sinners. But rather it makes him more loving, ever loving, more understanding. And so what is said in Isaiah concerning the Lord is true of Christ in all their affliction. He was afflicted. And in his love and his pity he redeemed them and bore them and carried them all his days. So Paul could give the Hebrews the gospel. And by that I mean 
the gospel according to whether Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, uh, the gospel that would tell the life of Christ in the days of his flesh, the good news of that loving life that was lived on earth and that was given for us on the cross, that's the gospel. The gospel that Matthew, Mark and Luke and John write about and that was the heart of the message that the apostles brought to sinners, this, this life, this man, this redeemer, he can give them the gospel and he can say to them, he's still the same in heaven. He's no less this caring redeemer in glory. He has all the compassion that you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John when you read of his life in the good news. He has all of that tenderness still, that sympathy. So that's, that's the teaching of this verse. We've not only a great high priest but a most compassionate one. Indeed, the most compassionate high priest of all. If I could just illustrate that. Whenever we read the Gospels, whenever we go through and we want to learn about Jesus, now in glory, how do we think? Well, we, we think, he who received publicans and sinners in the days of his flesh is still the same. He who wants to mingle with the unconverted in order to deliver them from their sins and to bring them on to the knowledge of himself is still the same. He who touched the leper, the untouchable, still desires to touch the unclean and to scatter the uncleanness. He touched that leper with compassion. These things were not done robotically or without feeling. Have mercy on me. Have compassion on me. Move with compassion, the Bible so often says. He laid his hand on him. He touched him. That's still the same. And the poor sinner who's awakened, who feels that he's such a leper, such an unclean leper, oh, how can I ever go to Jesus, that great one in the glory? Maybe I need to go to Mary. Maybe I need to go to someone who's more like myself. No, you don't. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one as kind as caring. As Christ. That's what the Gospels are all about. Not to lead you to Mary. That somehow Mary may intercede for you before a very hard and harsh Christ. Who's lost all his compassion. But Mary somehow still has her compassion. No, that's not the Gospel. That's not the good news. The good news is this Jesus this Jesus is still the same in glory at the right hand of the Father. And you can come to the throne of grace. And you can get all the mercy and help and the grace that you need as a poor sinner if you but come. And so he's still the same. He who lovingly won the woman at the well is still the same. He who defended the woman who anointed him when all the apostles seem to rise up against her, he is still the same, that same compassion for her to defend her. He saw how she felt. She saw, he saw how she was humiliated. She saw how she was being shamed. And he felt and intervened. And it's still the same. He who said to proud, erring Peter, and indeed all the disciples, 
I have prayed for you that your faith fail not is still the same. He who wept over Jerusalem is still the same. Though the tears don't come now, we are not to suppose there's bleeding now and crying now and tears all over the place in heaven. No, no, he's beyond that. There's no tears in heaven. But what I'm saying is the heart that produced that on earth now produces things compatible with it in glory, but the heart is still the same. That's what I'm trying to say. That's the teaching of this verse. He who cried, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He who watched them all week long in their ceremony, at the pouring out of the waters in the Feast of the Tabernacles, weary with it all and their blindness and stood up in some prominent place and cried with a loud voice, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He's still the same. That compassionate call, that compassionate appeal to sinners. He who had compassion on the multitude so many times and fed them on occasions, he's still the same. He who healed the sick and went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil is still the same. He who looked at Erin Peter with that glance of compassion and kindness to win him back and to melt him and to convict him and convert him again is still the same. He who loved his own unto the end has not changed. He continues to love them on to the end. There's not a thing that comes right off the night in this Hebrews. We have to be faithful to the end. Be steadfast to the end. Well, Jesus is compassionate to the end. He continues to the end. He who loved us whenever we were without strength. Yeah, who loved us even when we were enemies. Is still the same. He who gave us flesh in the days of his flesh is still the same. He who gave us the table to comfort us before he left us is still the same when we sit down to partake at it. Always the same in compassion and grace. Indeed, this epistle at the end states it beyond the shadow of the doubt. Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today and forever always the same so that resurrection that ascension that glorification whatever is taking place in his humanity to make him to be fit to sit down there in glory at the right hand of the father that did not change his kindness it did not lessen his grace it did not take away the sympathy that he has to his body. It did not sever the head. To become an unfeeling head. A robotic head. A distant head. Somehow separate from the body. No. He continues to be the head of the body. And still has that same tender kindness towards it. That runs through his heart. And this unchanged compassion of Jesus in the glory is easily proved from scripture not only is it stated here we have other indications of it after his resurrection he continued to be kind to his apostles 
He comforted them. He assured them. They found that, though they didn't seem to recognize him sometimes, and they wondered, and he's doing things somewhat different. He seems to appear and disappear, and even seems to go through material. Yet, that car is still the same. They saw that. He met Peter, according to the word. Uh, I'll meet you again, Peter, in Galilee. And he met him with care and kindness, and to his restoration. And you remember how when he appeared in the midst of them, they were so troubled, they were afraid, they were terrified, in fact, and afraid. It's supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why, why do these thoughts arise in your head? It's the same Jesus, isn't it? The same Jesus that talked to them in the boat. Why are you troubled? Why do you not have any faith? Has the resurrection changed him in regard to his tenderness towards his people? Not one bit. The same Jesus. Why are you troubled? Look, humble me. Feel my hands, feel my feet. See that I'm not a spirit. The same desire to comfort them. To assure them is present. He hasn't become harder or more callous or less caring. And so he showed them his hands and feet. He even made them a meal. Have you any meat, children, he says. He made them a meal. And he, he ate with them. He's still eating with them. The same heart. The same heart that wants to comfort and encourage. The resurrection. In glory. Has not changed that. And then you remember at his ascension. And as he left them and he was blessing them, even in the process of leaving them, he's reaching out his hands and blessing them, praying for them as he departs and goes out of their sight. It's still the same Jesus, wanting to bless, wanting to encourage. As the angels, as the men of God were looking up into the heavens, now that he's gone, there were these two men that stood by them in white apparel, and they said to him, their angels, they said, Well, you men of Galilee, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus. And that's the important word. It's the same Jesus. That same Jesus that was amongst you, who's been blessing you, who's been encouraging you, who's been assuring you, and is now leaving you. That same Jesus is coming back again. The same Jesus will glorify creation, not change him. Will glorification not make him another Jesus with less compassion and less tenderness? No. The same Jesus is coming back again. The same Jesus that had his arms up and blessing upon you. He's coming back again. He's going to be thousands of years there up at the right hand of the Father. But it's not going to change him. He's going to have the same compassion. The same tenderness. The same Jesus. So we do not think that he sheds tears or sweats blood or sleeps with weariness and has infirmities anymore. But we're sure of this. His compassion is all in all its essential and important aspects. Still the same. And we can ever go boldly for his mercy and grace. This is what Paul is teaching. And then you remember how the glorified Jesus who sits at the right hand of God. You remember how he appeared to Saul, 
He's coming to Saul. Is he going to judge him? Is he going to cut him off? Is he going to you know, decapitate him and remove this persecution? No, he, he comes to Saul with, with compassion and tenderness. Saul calls him by name. I'm Jesus. Now, Paul knew very much about Jesus because he'd heard all the stories of him in the days when he was in Jerusalem and Galilee. I'm Jesus. I'm not seeing Jesus that you've heard about. I'm not seeing Jesus that healed the, lep- that healed the lepers. I'm Jesus. He doesn't just say, I'm Christ glorified. I'm Jesus. And he has feeling. It's hard for you to kick against the prick Saul. I know that. It's not easy. It's difficult. But you know what it's all about, don't you? And he was converted by that compassion. He was converted by that gentleness. That's not an aspect that's emphasized whenever the conversion of Saul is preached upon. But it's all present. It's all there. It's love that wins you. It's compassion and tenderness that wins you. And let me tell you this, Jesus is not short in that. We have not an high priest, priest which is untouched and untouchable. So this statement tells us Jesus is still the same. And then you remember in book of Revelation where John has seen Jesus in his glory. And so glorious does he appear that somehow John has seemed to have forgotten his compassionate heart. And John says he's terrified. He falls like a dead man on his feet. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Has Jesus changed in some way? This glory? But he has no compassion now. And, and so you fall dead. You fall before him in fear and trembling. Remember, John lay on his breast whenever he was reclining at the table that last night. And, and the way that they eat around the table, the Hebrews eat, it's easy to incline upon a person's chest that you're sitting beside so that you can talk quietly the one to another. And John was able to do that. Recline on his chest. And to hear his voice and to speak to him and to learn the secrets from the Lord that night. But he must think Jesus has changed. And now he falls down as a dead man, all life gone, falls in fear and trembling. What does Jesus do? He put forth his right hand and he touched him. Don't be afraid, John. I am he that liveth and was dead. And I'm alive forevermore. And have the keys of death and hell. It's me John. The one who died for you. The one who obtained these keys for you. The one who ever lives at the right hand of God. And possesses all this glory. I possess it for you. And so this. This right hand. It's still the same. This right hand that took Jairus' daughter. This right hand that touched the leper. The glorified Son of God put forth his right hand and touched him and said, Don't be afraid. He has the heart to comfort him. That's what I'm saying. The same Jesus. And people of God, read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. 
And don't just think it's all history, it's all the past, it's all distant. No, that living person, you know. And he feels the same toward you. If you think yourself a leper, if you think yourself an unclean person, if you think yourself the woman at the well, if you think yourself Peter who's denied him in strength, whatever, you can come to the same Jesus. And may you do so. So hold fast. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Though now ascended up on high, he bends on earth a brother's eye. Partaker of the human name, he knows the frailty of our frame. In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows had a part. He sympathizes in our grief until the sufferer sends relief. So may your confidence in your Savior's compassion never wane, but rather may it grow and increase. And so hold fast your confession to the end that Jesus Christ is not only a great high priest, but a very compassionate one too. Great and gracious.